Welcome to the Wild and Free Podcast, Episode 51. I'm Ainsley Arment, and this week, Cindy Rollins, the author of Mere Motherhood, helps us take the perfectionist pressure off ourselves and encourages us to lean into literature. I always say be consistent on the good days because the bad days are coming and you're going to get interrupted. So if we just take advantage of those good days, then we'll be fine. Plus, we have a new family experience to announce at the Wild and Free Farm Village. So grab a cup of coffee and join us on the front porch. Let's get started. When the bitter cold of winter comes rolling in, our homeschool takes a form that I affectionately call cozy schooling. It's where we embrace the state of being housebound due to winter's chill and make the most of our togetherness indoors. Of course, there is still a familiar rhythm to our days. We do math, science, and history, and often gather for our favorite ritual of storytime tea. But we focus less on curriculum and more on caring for each other, nurturing our sibling and family relationships, and cherishing our favorite traditions. This is really a year-long goal of ours, but this time of year really beckons us to slow our pace and rediscover the joy of simply being together. Home isn't four walls, but the relationships within them. Cozy schooling puts the home back in homeschooling. Cozy schooling involves a lot of handcrafting, baking, and reading our favorite festive stories. Sometimes cozy schooling looks like meeting my kids where they are because I can't expect them to be interested in what I want to do if I haven't invested in their worlds. Other times, cozy schooling looks like starting a fire and piling all the blankets and pillows on the floor for a day of reading, gaming, and snuggling. Some days, cozy schooling looks like baking bread or decorating cakes until it's dark outside and it's time to make dinner. And sometimes, it's letting everyone do their own thing, including Mama. Cozy schooling is restful schooling, peaceful schooling, simple schooling. It's doing what our children need instead of doing what we think we should be doing. It's finding joy in the ordinary moments instead of wishing for the big ones. It's following your heart instead of impressing your followers. It's stressing less about routine and more about relationship. It's remembering the reason you're doing this in the first place. In just a moment, we're going to hear from Cindy Rollins. But first, I have an exciting announcement about a family experience coming to the Wild and Free Farm Village. We are partnering with our friends at Felon Fair to create a medieval adventure weekend on the grounds of the Wild and Free Farm Village this September 11th through 13th. Join us for three days of adventure as we serve our noble king, search for his lost knights, and seek to reclaim glory for the kingdom. You'll be assigned to one of several factions that competes for the king's honor, undertakes conquests, feasts together in the Mead Hall, and celebrates victories with merriment and revelry into the night. But be wary, friends. Enemies of the king lurk at every turn. You know not whether someone is truly friend or foe. You will be given assignments by the king himself, learn new skills from an ancient time, and be called upon to protect the village from those who would bring it harm. There will be fun. There will be feasting. There will be fiefdom. To join the adventure, visit bewildandfree.org forward slash medieval. 
Cindy Rollins is one of our favorite homeschooling pioneers. She homeschooled her nine children for over 30 years and wrote the life-changing book, Mere Motherhood. This week, she joins Jennifer Pepito to talk about taking the perfectionist pressure off ourselves and leaning into literature. Let's listen in. Thank you for joining me today, Cindy. Oh, it's so nice to be here. I'm so excited to chat with you. You have been such a mentor to many through your book and your morning time writings. And I just thought it'd be fun to kind of talk a little bit about homeschooling Charlotte Mason for the frazzled because mm-hmm. you know I think that there are so many people now who are writing about Charlotte Mason homeschooling and advocating for it but then it almost becomes this contest of who can do it more perfectly or more purely and I think that for some families that's going to be awesome I mean if you have kids who just really love to sit and draw all day and you know, different kids will respond to that better. But I think that if we're put under this intense pressure to do something perfectly, it can kind of suck the joy out of homeschooling altogether. So I'd love to have you address that a little bit. You know, that is a great question. And I, I just this weekend, I was talking to someone who said that the, what they were finding were that people were coming to Charlotte Mason getting so confused by all these competing voices and then quitting homeschooling altogether. And that just broke my heart. It's just so unnecessary for us to place burdens on one another and that we can't keep and not, and for moms not to realize that they can do, they can tweak things and do things their own way. They aren't compelled to exactly follow um, some prescribed order of, of how to do Charlotte Mason. I mean, the beauty of old timers was that nobody was telling us what to do. So we were just kind of muddling through and figuring it out. Right, right. It's like the Charlotte Mason Companion was one of my favorite books and companions through my early years of homeschooling. But it's pretty simple. It's like, go on a nature walk and look at some art together and read some good books and talk about them. But now we have all these images images and we have courses and and so much of it is really helpful but I was thinking you know I was just reading I read for a few hours yesterday from the Magna Carta to my kids it was really pleasant and and you know I know I was breaking all kinds of rules because I did stop every once in a while and ask them about what I was reading but I didn't necessarily keep the lesson short and we didn't notebook about it but we were going deep with some material and and it, it was a feast but I think that you know it, it can almost make us feel guilty like I'm not doing this right. So, you know, it can sort of put this heavy burden on us. Yeah. For the last four years, I was teaching a student who had not, you know, grown up in a Charlotte Mason atmosphere. And so I had to, you know, I did some things I did with my kids. I did the very best, you know, it was fun. I enjoyed it because I thought what, what really works? Narration really works. You know, I did that with him and it improved his writing skills. We did some Charlotte Mason things, but every once in a while, I, because I knew, um, you know, his parents had some extra expectations. Um, I just had to do what I could do with him and be happy that he was having this beautiful experience, but also maybe it wasn't pure Charlotte Mason as I would have designed it if I was, you know, just totally free to do whatever I wanted. So tell me a little bit about what you think the essentials are. Like if a mom is trying to deal with a baby and a toddler, and then they've got a few kids who are school age, what are the essential Charlotte Mason things that she could and should be doing that aren't going to wear her out? 
Well, I will say this. I do think if you're going to really benefit from a Charlotte Mason education, the narration is absolutely essential. Oral narration or written narration, they both do the same thing. So the more we get in the habit, now not with young children. Young children, you are just giving them knowledge. You know, Charlotte Mason was a big proponent of actual knowledge. And by that, I don't mean information. She wanted... um stories and she wanted children's minds to be filled with real narrative knowledge. And so um, anytime we're reading and we're gleaning from knowledgeable sources and like you were doing yesterday, that that's very important in the Charlotte Mason education because all our skills are born out of knowledge to have liberty and freedom we have to first put something in and then skills are, are something outward. So skills are not as important as knowledge because knowledge is, is what we apply to the skills. Um, skills are useless without knowledge. So if we're really overwhelmed, we can just make sure we're reading a lot to our children and that they are telling back as much as they can what they are reading on their own or we're reading to them. And really... When you add some nature study and you look at beautiful pictures and you listen to beautiful music, uh, you really have a, a foundation for a Charlotte Mason education. I love that. That's so good. And I think it's so important to put things in proper order, proper priority. I mean, if you are spending so much time on grammar in the early elementary years that you can't read out loud to your children, you've probably got it backwards. You absolutely have it backwards. <laughs> and you're wasting so much time because none of that, what, what's going to stick in their minds? Uh, grammar is not one of those things that our minds take too easily. Uh, so we build a foundation of knowledge. And then when we add grammar in later, it all, it, it falls into its proper place and doesn't have trouble just staying. Right. And that knowledge comes through all these stories that we're reading. Right. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about how you choose the books. Like, you know, there are so many Charlotte Mason book lists too. And a lot of these have books that are, you know, a hundred years old, 150 years old. And, and I'm a f- strong believer in reading the classics, but some of these are, are a little bit tedious to read to young children. Do we have to read these old books? Is there like a criteria for how many old books to how many new books? How can we figure out that balance of what to read? Right. That is very difficult because I see, like, even today I saw someone ask the question, uh, should we read Robinson Crusoe to our, our child? It's boring and they're not enjoying it. And you're thinking, oh, don't, don't give up on it, you know? So we want to have a little discipline not to give up on some of these really good old stories. But we also want to have freedom to say, oh, you know what, this isn't working in my family. And moms always should have freedom to do that. A mom has to have that freedom that she needs to take that for herself, that she is free to pick and choose the books that she wants to use for her family. Of course, she wants to go out and get the very best opinions that she can from people. Yeah, you know, the first time I tried to read The Wind in the Willows to my children, I couldn't get through it. It was such hard reading. Now I would say it's a top five book. I would never miss that book, but I didn't, I wasn't able to get through it the first time. So we so have. So do you think, do you think that was because your kids were so young or do you think it had something to do with your own? Taste, you know, because I think that sometimes we cultivate a taste for reading. And so there is this, 
importance of pushing ourselves a little bit, but on the other hand, being aware of the stage our children are at. Well, that's what worries me. I want to say, just don't worry about it on the one hand, but on the other hand, I hate to see people always default to just modern books that have been written, say, in the last um, 10, 15 years. I, I feel like we benefit when we push ourselves to go a little bit further back. And there are some books that maybe um, people are recommending that are old books, but they're not um, universally known classics. But if something is a classic, you can always pick it, you can put it down and pick it up later, or you can push through. Um, it, it's not the end of the world, but there is a benefit to reading some old books. Don't always opt for the new books. Right. And and oftentimes I find the new books actually harder to read out loud because they're just full of dialogue and not a lot of description. That is so true. See, I don't enjoy reading new books. So um, I hate to see people get only a taste for new books. I know there are obviously some very good new books that I do enjoy, but there's so many older books. You know, when some of these book lists had come out, I already had books that I had found that I loved to read with my children. And I didn't change that a whole lot because I knew what we had been doing before. And, and, and we are free to make our own book lists. I do think we benefit by reading a lot in our families, reading aloud, reading alone, mom reading, kids reading. So you don't feel like it has to be this certain prescribed book list to be pure Charlotte Mason? Oh, absolutely not. I don't. I do not feel that way. Now, there are some people that really have made some excellent book lists. And I think those are valuable, but I don't think they're universal in any, in any way. For as long as families have been formed, children have been educated at home. Still, we homeschooling mamas can feel like pioneers, forging a new path for the next generation. It's not easy, but with a community of women to support and encourage each other, we can make it through the difficult times and experience the beauty of this life together. We can gather for events, retreats, and even local meetups throughout the year. But the Wild and Free membership community is how we stay connected with this life-giving tribe from day to day. It's where we equip each other, share our stories, and learn from those who have gone before us. It's where we find courage and peace for this journey. And there's no better time to join this community than at the beginning of a new year. The Wild and Free membership comes with a bounty of enriching gifts. A print magazine in the mail, a new digital content bundle each month, plus the previous one, exclusive podcasts and interviews, stories, articles, and tutorials, downloadable prints and resources, book club and handcraft instructions, nature journaling guide and videos, all of our conference recordings, discounts on resources and events, and so much more. When you join, we'll send you a welcome kit in the mail that includes a wild and free window decal and your first magazine. Plus, you'll get access to two content bundles and all of our membership perks like conference recordings right away. To learn more or to get a free sample, go to bewildandfree.org bundles. Now back to Cindy Rollins. Are there like five books that you think, oh, our family loved these so much. I think every homeschooling family should read these. Well, if, if you're just talking about novels or really good books, I think, I, I do think The Wind in the Willows. I think, um, Little Britches. 
I think uh, Little House in the Big Woods. I think it's an absolutely beautiful piece of American prose. I honestly am not sure that isn't the most beautiful piece of American writing that there is in our country. Uh, so Little House in the Big Woods. And that's not an easy book to read either, but I do think it's well worth it. Um, of course, you know, there's there's all kinds of great books. Like Who's Going to Miss the Chronicles of Narnia or... Um, a little bit later, The Hobbit. Those are excellent stories. Yeah, so in some ways, if you, you know, hopefully over the whole 12 years, I mean, I've been homeschooling for 22 years, and I've repeated some books. Like, there are books that I haven't read. I've never read Plutarch's Lives to my children. Right. But I have read some of those other books several times over to make sure that every child gets them. So is there, like, an idea of kind of building as you go? And, and at what point can you transition children to read some of these hard books themselves? Or how can audiobooks even play a part in getting some of these harder books into our children? I think audiobooks is is one of the key answers to that. So many people are finding success with these books because their children do enjoy audiobooks. And so I think that's great. I didn't use a lot of audiobooks, but I did sit around reading a lot. So um, that kind of, I, I was the audiobook. Which uh, is, you know, one of my favorite parts of homeschooling. It's like my one excuse to sit down in the daytime. Yes, it's it's a wonderful thing. And then at night after supper, we would read aloud. So uh, I, yeah, I think that all, these are you know, individual kind of questions for each family, but I wouldn't be afraid to try different ways. I do think it's great. When we read a book together, we have a shared culture. And that's, I get a little upset. Like the other day I was talking to my son, Alex, and I said something about a little house in the big woods. Well, I was cycling it in for the last time when he was maybe five, six, seven. And I, I was waiting till, you know, I could fit like squeeze two groups of kids into that last reading. And he says he didn't remember it. That really upset me. I was like, oh, I should have waited. I should have waited a little longer. You know, you like to have the culture, family culture of some of those books where we've all read that. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? How, you know, how homeschooling, I mean, you homeschooled nine kids and how it can seem like it'll never end. And then at the end, we're like, wait, there are things that I wish we had done or um, we didn't do everything that was on my bucket list to do. Oh, no, I know you. The years just seem like they go on endlessly in front of you. And when they end, it just it, it's so quick. It's over. And, um, no. it, and then you're just like, oh, we never did do that. And, you know, that's how it's always going to be. There's always going to be gaps and holes and things we wish we could have done. And so many great new ideas come out. And I think, oh, I wish I'd have known that. So tell me just a little bit, because you did homeschool a big family, and there had to be some days where you didn't get a lot of schoolwork done at all because mm. of taking care of a sick child or being in bed with a new baby. And I had the same experience. And yet my older students are still great, great students and great workers and great people. What would you say to these moms who just feel like, I can't get any school done. My kids are, you know, I've got a sick child again, or I just had a baby and the baby's interrupting every few hours to nurse. How, what would be the hopeful statement you could give them? Well, I always say one um, good year of homeschooling can make up for two bad years. <laughs> um, if we get in a really good year, no baby, no move, no, you know, sickness, and we're just very consistent. I, I always say be consistent on the good days because the bad days are coming and you're going to get interrupted. So if we just take advantage of those good days, 
then we'll be fine. Because um, some years, some whole, I always say that some whole years are bad if we have a newborn and the newborn is, you know, parents have preemies and all kinds of of things come up when, when mom's pregnant, maybe she's in bed. Uh, all those things can interrupt our school. So I always say just be consistent when you can so that you don't have to worry when you aren't consistent because those days will come. But it does make up for it. Homeschooling is a very concentrated form of learning. So when you do get in good homeschooling days, they cover a lot of bad days. <laughs> right. And you know, what's interesting too. I feel like when we have sort of a homeschool rhythm, there's a lot of learning that still happens. You know, I've had sick days. I've had had new babies, all that kind of thing. But we still would read out loud. Even if I was just nursing an infant, I'd still read out loud. We'd still draw. We'd still keep the TV off for the most part. And so a lot of learning was still happening even on those less than ideal days. But I think part of it for me was that my expectations were lower because I didn't see what everybody else was doing. You know, I think even now after homeschooling for so long, it's easy to start to think, oh my gosh, we didn't do any amazing narrations this week, or I only found too many beasts this week, or, you know, there's all these things that people are doing that the kind of expectations in some ways have been elevated. And so I think that we could be even a harsher critic of ourselves than we need to be. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. I, I think what we're consistent with in small doses over a long period of time is really sticks better than if we just throw everything up and we tr- change everything and we're constantly trying to find some ideal, but it's just really the, like you said, the rhythm. If we are in a rhythm, then a lot of that stuff's going to happen no matter what. Um, I always had plan B, A and plan B. You know, if the day falls apart, the kids knew they still had all their reading to do. If I was completely unavailable, of course, this is the kids who already are reading they still did their own reading. That was just part of life. And they still did their math lesson. And and they still, you know, had to um, work on uh, a written narration if they were old enough. So whether I was around or whether I was not, those were the very basic things that had to get done. And I mean, of course, you know, everybody has dentist appointments and those kind of things where you, and sometimes it just feels like it's never ending. Oh no, we got to go do this. You know, things happen, but it does help to have a rhythm because that does keep things in place uh, much, much more than if we just didn't. Absolutely. So in the last couple of minutes we have, can you just give us a few words about how you established that rhythm, you know, kind of how you made it an automatic that your children would do their reading? How do you communicate those expectations? Well, I kept my homeschool very simple. Number one, we had morning time. Now, we didn't have morning time every day, 180 days a year, but that was the goal. The goal was to have it every day. Mostly, we didn't have it every day. We had it, I'd say we had it between uh, three quarters of the time to two thirds of the time, but even sometimes less than that. But I had that, so that was a, a rhythm that we had. And I, my kids had reading lists, so I considered everything else besides math and, and working with kids that needed phonics or extra help in a subject. Almost everything else was covered by their reading lists. So I just made sure they always had those reading lists available. That was what I worked on the most, um, having their reading lists, so that uh, if I wasn't around or if something went wrong, they knew what to read. 
then if I was doing any skill work like Latin or those kind of things, uh, we would keep those in a certain time frame. But we, we didn't always get to those. I didn't do a lot of rotating this on Monday, this on Tuesday, this on Wednesday, because I would have, I fail at that. A lot. Right, because so, you have to, then it's more yes. to manage in a way, right? Yeah. So so in some ways, the basic you had, did you make up a little chart or did you have a bullet journal? Yeah, they all had their own individual list to look at. Like it might say flashcards and um, spelling. I did spelling and flashcards online once that online came about. And those kind of things that didn't need me, I didn't have to stand there and hold up the flashcards. That's something the computer can do very easily. Um, I let that be done on the computer. And um, I did spelling on the computer with a, a program called Dr. Ardsma. It's A-A-R-D-S-M-A. Um, and I think he has math flashcards and spelling now on, the, on his site. And those are little quick things that can be done in five or ten minutes. Uh, handwriting, you know, they, they would, I just would list it. I didn't say do page five or do page three. You know, basically it was do a few minutes of your handwriting and not necessarily the whole section or the whole page or the whole, you know, I just do a little bit of a lot of things each, but we did them daily. Yes. And you didn't necessarily give them a new list every day. Like some people do a bullet journal where they give their child a new list every day. You had more of a running list that was, these are the expectations and ahead of time they knew what that yes, meant. most of their list was just daily. They they just checked off. They did that, 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 that. They did the same thing every day. And then they knew in their book what the next part, uh, you know, I'm reading this history book. I read a little bit more. I'm reading this novel. I read a little bit more. Some of the times when I was using the Ambleside lists, I would um, have daily, you know, they would change over each day. And I had a list for that you know, read this book today and Monday would have a book and Tuesday might have a different book, that sort of thing. That was later when I had more time to do stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. I get it. And I think that that is one of the most encouraging things about talking to you, Cindy, is that homeschooling doesn't have to be perfect. Charlotte Mason homeschooling doesn't have to be perfect for it to be effective and for it to really create a beautiful worldview and and cultivate a beautiful soul in our children. Yeah, I love talking to you too for the same reason. We're kindred spirits, moms of lots of kids. <laughs> yes, and survivors. Survivors, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks for joining me today, Cindy. It's been a joy, as always, to chat with you. All right, thank you. Thanks so much, Cindy. You can find more heart-filling content from homeschooling mamas like Cindy and Jen each month in our Wild and Free content bundles. Plus, you can be the first to find out about our conferences, retreats, and courses by signing up for our email newsletter. Just visit our website at bewildandfree.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but join us again next week for the Wild and Free podcast. Podcast.